Hi, Eric. Hi, Aaron. I have a pressing question before we get started. Okay, let's do it. Um, today I went to the Cheesecake Factory for the first time. You, have you, you ever been there before? You seriously haven't been to the Cheesecake no, Factory? No, like I've never been there before. an American institution. Yeah, but why? I, I, I like the Cheesecake it, Factory. It, it so. looks like a casino. Okay, yes. Look, it is an American institution. <laughs> <laughs> okay, point made. Yeah. It was exciting. I got to have an Impossible Burger. Um, which I'd been wanting to try. Was it's, it any good? It Well, they overcooked it, so it tasted exactly like a real hamburger that's been overcooked. So yeah. I assume that means the Impossible Burger is everything it's claimed to be. Oh, okay, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, so I'll have to try it again sometime. But uh-huh. I think it's everything it's supposed to be. All right, Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. I, Not so sponsored. Could I be. probably won't have to eat again for another day. <laughs> um, but yeah, you? I have mixed feelings. Uh-huh. Was the cheesecake good? The cheesecake was good. Yeah, I had been led to believe by living among snobs the last 20 years of my life that the cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory would not be good. But it was it was good. Yeah. It was good. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. I liked it. Well, I think that's been a good show. Yeah. Let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> so, um, it's not totally irrelevant, though. Okay. Because um, the thing about the Cheesecake Factory is, as you pointed out, it is an American institution. Uh, it's something I think... Pretty much everyone's heard of, even if they don't live close to one, even if they've never been to one. Um, why is the Cheesecake Factory so well known? I mean, there aren't really that many of them. Yeah. I, I had to drive uh, into Walnut Creek to go to one. I promised Alvin to go there on his birthday. Oh, fantastic. And so seven months later, we finally yeah. fulfilled that promise. I don't know. You're right. You don't see a lot of ads. No. Uh-huh. It's kind of a word of mouth kind of thing. I don't know. Kind of like how we're hoping our podcast gets spread around. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's anything, anything like how is it that people share something they care about and other people listen? Uh Because sometimes that's easy to do and sometimes it's not easy to do. All right, well, this weekend, um, as you know, the Association for Mormon Letters held their annual conference locally. Uh Um, You made it to a few sessions? I did. I came to three sessions, three of the... Panels, I guess you would call um, them? Yeah, you came to a couple panels uh-huh. and the readings? Yeah, I was came to some readings. What it was? Yeah. Um, I gotta say, uh, I loved it. I'm so glad. So I thought it was fantastic. I enjoyed every minute that I was there. Um, learned a lot, um, was, was challenged by some of the material, which I think is good. Right. I think it's good to be challenged sometimes. So you've been on the board? You're, you're president of it I'm right now. I'm currently president. I'm now in my second year of being president. Is it a two-year? It's a two-year term. Two-year term. That's uh-huh. correct. And before that, I was president-elect. We have a really interesting presidential structure. Yeah. So we have a president emeritus, which yeah. is a two-year structure. Uh, and before that, the president emeritus was president for two years. And before that, the president was president-elect for two years. So you're about to be emeritus. So I'm about to... So in another year, I'll move into emeritus... And James Goldberg will move from being president-elect to president, and we'll have to choose a new president-elect. Uh-huh. It's a curious system. Yeah, it is kind of I don't know how that curious. got started. but Yeah, I've never been emeritus anything, so... Yeah, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and how did you get involved? That's a great question. So, I was aware of the AML in college. I went to BYU. Um, I was only vaguely aware of it. I knew it existed, and that was kind of it. Uh, when I graduated from college, I got a job taking stickers off of cardboard boxes and then putting new stickers onto cardboard boxes. Sounds like a terrible job. It was not intellectually rigorous. Yeah. Um, And so in my spare time, I needed something to do to use the part of my brain that had been honed to a fine edge in school. And um, the AML had had an email listserv, and I got engaged with talking about Mormon literature, which was not something I knew much about. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd read a few things, of course, but that was kind of it. I didn't, I didn't realize, and very few Latter-day Saints do, I didn't realize what a vast and um, impressive literature we have. Well, I certainly didn't realize it either, and I found myself dipping my toe into it, uh, which we'll talk about here, <laughs> but uh, I was very impressed. Yeah, we have so much good stuff, but I think a lot of Latter-day Saints... Well, I mean, I'm familiar with some of the bad stuff. Right. <laughs> so the bad stuff is well-marketed, yeah. right? So let's see. Let's go ahead and name some names. Um, I remember Tennis Shoes Among the Nephites. Yes, which um, I liked the first two books when I was a teenager. Yeah, so did I. And then I read the third one, and oh boy, mm-hmm. I suddenly realized that I'd gone down a horrible road. Right. And we've got, what else have we got? Saturday There's Jack Wayland, who, um, who I think his short stories are actually pretty okay. decent, some of them. Yeah. But um, his novels are not great literature by any stretch. Yeah. And then, of course, Saturday's yeah. Warrior, who was... Saturday's which, Warrior. Which I loved. I uh-huh. loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. And nowadays, looking back at it, I can't, I can't, like, I would, I used to sing the songs, like, all the time. The missus will not let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like... <laughs> She's I, like, nope. <laughs> it's the only musical I know of in which the prophet has felt the need to state that there is some incorrect doctrine in there oh, that that's, should be. Yeah. Wow. Okay. President Kimball not, was like, you know, soulmates. That's not a pain. Not, not, not a pain. Not only apocryphal, but incorrect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's fantastic. It's wrong. Um, but there's some really good stuff too. Um, of course, we have we have authors that do out that are not that are Mormon than do other things. Right. We have Brandon. We have a Sanderson, lot of pe- such people. We have Orson Scott Card. Yeah. And, Speculative fiction, most famously, there are a lot of LDS people doing great work. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson is one of my favorite um, authors of all time. He plays Magic the Gathering, so he <laughs> tweets about drafts that he's uh-huh. doing. Of course, he writes these amazing books, and then he is a, and then he tweets about going to church, and it's fantastic. Yes, and I, and I think when Orson Scott Card is doing his best work, he's one of the best writers in America. Yeah. He hasn't been doing his best work for a while, yeah. but his best work yeah. is stellar. Yeah. Um, the winner of the AML Novel Award this year is in that field. It's a it's a spec fic book. What's it? It's a it's Witchy Winter uh, that by one? DJ Butler. That then DJ Butler had a pile of books that he was giving. He away. did. Did you take one? I did take. one. I took one too, and I already had been given his first book, which I had not read. But now right. I'm reading the first one. I'm okay. about ten pages in. So, <laughs> heard very good things. the 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 judges were so happy with that book, which made me feel like I. I mean, I like DJ or Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't go by DJ. <laughs> but, like, Dave is a friend of mine. He's been an editor of mine, and I like his short work, but I've never read one of his novels, so I'm finally finally doing that. And the fact that he won over two writers that I consider to be excellent, I haven't read either of their books that were nominated, yeah. but I've read all their other published novels, both of those writers, and I think they're excellent. And he and the judges felt that he creamed them. So, um, yeah. That's Mormons awesome. write good books. That's great. And not just speculative fiction book, but, you know, other stuff, too. So, today, we're going to... I specifically want to talk about the panels I, I attended. That's good, because I really want to end on the Saints panel. Okay. Because the main point I hope to make today, I think, is best articulated by the Saints panel. Okay, so the Saints panel was fantastic. Let's start with um, Carolyn Pearson. Sounds good. Winner okay? of this year's uh, Life Honorary... Wait, oh shoot, I just forgot. Life... You can do it. Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> wow. Getting the sequence of words in the right order was very difficult. <laughs> I mean, we should mention that this conference it moves around. It was held in Berkeley this year, but it's been at other places. It has. Right? That's right. Um, we had lots of pe- We, I mean, I was just an attendant. You had lots of people to fly in, right? We did from as far away as China and Japan. Yeah. Which is quite far away. Which was very fun. Um, people gave talks. People um, did readings from their books. And uh, lot, and it was very interesting. So, 
let's again let's start with Carolyn Pearson. Sounds a, good. A person who I didn't actually know very much about until mm-hmm. this until this weekend. I think just by virtue of living here, maybe you just heard of her as yeah. a well-known person in the stake. Yeah, that's right. Sort of like a number of former Relief Society, stake Relief Society presidents, and um, yeah. So she's yeah she's, she's sort prominent, of a prominent member here. Prominent local member, yes. Um, but she we got to hear a bit about her history, so I'll just cover a bit about her sure. history here because I found it so interesting. Um, she in the early seventies or late seventies, of course, she got she got married, right? Uh, no, early, late sixties. Late sixties. Late sixties. She got married, um, uh, for, and was married for I think, uh, twenty years. What raised four kids? Some, something around that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. LDS was already starting to write a bunch of poetry and getting involved in mm-hmm. various aspects of Mormon doctrine, and then or Mormon um, literature. Mormon literature. Right. Yeah. And then her husband comes out as gay, and he does. Um, they divorce. They do. And yeah, uh, the story is. Goes goes tragic from here, <laughs> so um, uh, he dies of AIDS. They do stay close. She they, takes care of him as he's dying. Yeah, and then she wrote a, a book about her story called uh, "Goodbye, I Love You." That's right. And um, which got her on Oprah. It got her on Oprah, and it was made big waves all through the country. Have you read this book, or have you I have looked, not read looked it. at it? No, I'm. Fam- I it's. You're familiar enough with I, the material. Yeah, I mean, I know about it. Mm-hmm. I know a lot about it, but it's I haven't read it. So in that sense, it's kind of like um, A Tale of Two Cities. Uh-huh. I know a lot about that book. <laughs> I have not read it. <laughs> My wife is ashamed of me because it's one of her favorites. I mean, aren't you an English teacher? I know. <laughs> there are too many books, Aaron. You can't possibly read them all. <laughs> How much Dickens can be expected of me? <laughs> um, so, okay, so... A very interesting, so the very interesting story, and she's done all these writing pop projects, um, and so she had um, an award, and um, lots of people came. For, a lot of people, yeah. And they had five people, kind of, kind of bear testimonies. <laughs> yeah, bear witness of her excellence. <laughs> yes, and her importance. And then and, she did readings. Yeah, and even if you don't like her work, and I think that's a reasonable, you know, taste taste being what they are, it's yeah. reasonable not to like her. I don't think it's possible to deny the importance of Carolyn Pearson and the impact she's had. Even if you were unaware of her, she's had an impact. It's sort of like it's sort of like if you write a dystopian novel today mm-hmm. and you're like, I've never read nineteen eighty four, not that interested, mm-hmm. don't know anybody who's read it. If you wrote a dystopian novel, you are heavily influenced by nineteen eighty four, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Carolyn Pearson's kind of like that. Well, go on, tell me more. Well, she uh, the first book was published in sixty nine, beginnings, uh, two thousand copies. Her husband came up with the idea on her honey, on their honeymoon, mm-hmm. um, which, as she <laughs> joked, was, should have been a sign right there. <laughs> when your husband is more interested in publishing your poetry on the honeymoon than anything else, yeah, might be a sign. Um, but they had 2,000 copies, and the reason was because no one else would publish it. Yeah. No, first of all, this is America, and even 50 years ago, and by the way, it's 50 years ago. A happy anniversary, Carolyn Pearson's first book. I oh, just realized that. Fantastic. Nobody mentioned that over the weekend. It's been that's, 50 years. That's great. Um, but she, uh, no one would buy it. Nobody reads poetry. So Nobody a, buys poetry. What kind of poetry? It's, uh, it's very, I don't know, how would I, I mean, it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ah! <laughs> Way to go, English teacher. <laughs> I'm leaving this I week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed. It's in the common language. It's fancy words be damned. Um, it's, in, it's in the common language. It's in the language of the people. Uh-huh. But um, 
so in that way, it's like Robert Frost. She tends to shy away from any kind of formalism. Um, her language, it's, it's free verse. It um, tends to be simple words and simple ideas, clearly expressed. Um, and because of that, of course, a lot of people dismiss it because things that are simple are, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, women's work, if you will. That's definitely the sort of thing that was said about her at the time. Oh, dear. <laughs> and um, But it's interesting, by the time... So, uh, Joanna Brooks had, uh, author of Book of Mormon Girl, famous uh, LDS Mormon woman writer of right now, um, she, in her statement that was read, she couldn't come because she was ill, but in her statement that was read, she quoted an initial review of Carolyn Pearson's book that was in BYU Studies, and that very much was this kind of like, that's nice, lady. You write pretty poems. It's not good, everybody. It was that kind of review. But within a few years, her work was appearing in Out of the Best Books, which was edited by BYU professors and published for the purposes of the Relief Society, which includes works from writers like, you know, Wordsworth, Robert Frost, who I think I mentioned, mm -hmm. or Willa Cather is in there, like big, big shot writers. Um, and with really nice things said about her in the collection. And so, um, and I think this is a really interesting point. Uh, whenever you're successful, people have to think about you again. Yeah. Um, we had this conversation recently about Napoleon Dynamite. Mm -hmm. It was dismissed out of hand by critics in the first place. But now, you know, more than 10 years later, it's a classic. Yeah. It's a wildly popular and important film, so they've had to readjust what they think. So she continued writing poetry. Yes. And she published this book um, about, you know, about essentially... Um, homosexuality, its issues in the Mormon church. Uh, this was... She becomes, yeah, so she, with her relationship with her husband, she becomes sort of the spokesman um, mm -hmm. for gay saints and um, during the AIDS crisis when, you know, a lot of people with AIDS are treated horribly when nobody knows what's going on and um, she becomes sort of the de facto voice for people who don't have a voice. So it was a big deal, and she also started writing poems about Heavenly Mother, like we talked about last week. Yes. Um, and I feel like we, you know, as you may know, <laughs> we lost a section of that podcast. Oh, no. Yeah, I, no, don't, I, I don't think I, I actually to listen I haven't to it, told so. you yet, but um, we lost kind of the first section. So they were, we had an actual Nerf war in here that's, in the, that's here right. in the word building. So the noise was too loud, the noise and we really had to loud. cut it out. That's At one bad. point, we, we, you could audibly hear them counting everybody down. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one, go! That's anyway, hilarious. So, anyway, um, doesn't seem appropriate for the top. Appropriate for the topic. It didn't really work. We didn't get a chance to, um, I think, treat a f to go into the nice um, poetry that's out there. And one of the poems I've looked up is uh, "Motherless House." Yes. Which um, I thought it'd be fun to read on this podcast. Sure. So, um, are, you're a professional poetry reader. Do you want to do it, or do you want me to? I'm actually not a great poetry reader. I tend well, to let read me give it, it way let me, too fast. Let me give it a little try. So, okay. Car so, Carolyn Pearson's A Motherless House, 1992. And this is, of course, a poem about Heavenly Mother, right? That's and correct. how um, there wasn't, at this time, much, much talk about her, or much literature, and kind of, right. as we talked about last week, kind of been... She'd been neglected by the one group of Christians who claim to believe in her. Yeah. I live in a motherless house, a broken home. How it happened, I cannot learn. When I had words enough to ask where is my mother, no one seemed to know, and no one thought it strange that no one else knew either. I live in a motherless house. They are good to me here, but I find that no kindly patriarchal care eases the pain. 
I yearn for the day someone will look at me and say, you certainly do look like your mother. I walk the room, search the closets, look for something that might have belonged to her, a letter, a dress, a chair. Would she not have left a note? I close my eyes and work to bring her, and work to bring back her touch, her face. Surely there must have been a motherly embrace I can call back for comfort. I live in a motherless house, motherless and without a trace. Who could have done this? Who would tear an unweaned infant from its mother's arms and clear the place of every souvenir? I live in a motherless house. I lie awake and listen always for the word that never comes but might. I bury my face in something soft as a breast. I am a child crying for my mother in the night. So I was very impressed by her mm -hmm. and her poetry. And um, it, I found it as something I haven't really experienced much as a member of the church. I love the scriptures. Yes. I read the Book of Mormon. I love the language, right? And um, But I haven't really gone in this field yet, so this was fantastic. So she read several poems. This was one of them. Um, I have one more thing to say about her, but go, but go ahead if you have any. You know, I was... I was just going to say, like, well, can I ask you a question first? Yeah. If it hadn't been for the podcast, yeah. uh, would you have come? I, that's a very good question. I can. I wonder if I know where you're going from here. Um, I don't know. I really don't honestly know. Um, it definitely, because of the, I could, I could say that because of the podcast, I was not going to miss it, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really happy I came. But I don't know, there's lots of interesting activities and things that happen in the church. But I'm a family man. I've got a wife and kids. I miss a lot of things because I'm just home, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, one of the rumors going around about conference is that they might, one of the, one of the many rumors. There's so many rumors on, right now. <laughs> is that they might change something like the mutual program to be only once a month or something like that. Oh. Right? I could totally see it happen because there's so that, many activities. That definitely seems to be in... Uh, President Nelson's wheelhouse, that rumor. So if I was going to give a percentage of me coming, I don't know, 45%? That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I tried hard to promote it locally. You did, and I thought you did a good job. And there were people from there our were ward there. There were people from our ward there. Um, yeah. I did think that more people would show up to at least just one session just to like make an effort to yeah. say, I know you're working on this. Yeah. And that didn't really happen. But I really believe that... Wait, wait, a lot of people did come for the Carolyn Pearson thing. The Carolyn Pearson thing, a lot of people came There's for like Carolyn. Fifty right. people there. And there were a lot of people for the movie too, mm -hmm. which I, I think we'll probably talk about next. Yeah, there's this came for. Um and so so it's it's hard to judge, right? I really wanted more local people to be there, and I don't know how to gauge success mm -hmm. on that level. But I do think if more people had come, even if it's just for one session to make me feel good, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. they would have had an experience similar to yours. Yeah. Where they're like, Oh, you know, this is valuable to me. Mm-hmm. The, the literature of my own people matters. Well, maybe we can per, um, persuade more people to dig into it through this particular venue. I hope venue. so. Because I really do believe... And the thing is, I believe part of it is that because of, you know, Saturday's Warrior, a couple things that people Which hate I still or love, love to hate. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. Or, or love, and or love ironically, or love, but no, it's not that great. Like, all yeah. those... Like, if that's your only interaction with the literature of the Latter-day Saints then your expectations probably won't be that high. Yeah. And we see this in other minority literatures too, where a lot of people assume that their own stuff can't be as good as the majority culture's stuff, mm -hmm. and they're embarrassed by their own stuff, even if they've never tasted it. And I wish more people would look yeah. and see what they can find. Well, certainly with, with Carolyn Pearson, that was not the case. 
I really enjoyed it. Um, I wanted to buy one of her books while I was there, and the book that I chose to buy is the one, one is one that she says that, um, uh, and it's signed by her, by the way, but she nice. said it was one of her most important. She feels that she's ever written, and it's called um, The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy, all right? Yes. And we're not going to talk about it today, but I would like to dedicate an entire episode to it in the future. After kind I've of, read it. Yeah, kind of, like a, <laughs> kind of like a book review. I bought it on Saturday, and I had finished it Sunday afternoon. Wow. Yeah, and, and the missus had done the same. Wow. Yeah. That's so impressive. We both kind of ate it up to start to finish. It is a hard read. Like, um, I can't talk... It's like... I don't want to talk about it right now because I'm not ready. It's almost like an unutterable, mm. like from our previous episodes. Yes. Right? It's it's a hard topic to research and to understand and even talk about. So, but I think we should give it a try. All right. Um, so we'll do that in a future I'm episode. all for glorious failures. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, but the but very powerful book. Um, and um, dear listener, if you want to, you know, read it read too. Read along, yeah. Read along with us. And that can be kind of a fun thing. Um, so that was the ma- the main panel that I attended. I also attended the readings of Heavenly Mother Poetry oh, that's right. on Saturday. And that was great. I got to hear some other authors besides Carolyn. And well, I'm not on a first name basis with her. <laughs> Carolyn Pearson. <laughs> Sister Pearson? Whatever you want, I think it's fine. <laughs> yes. And um, those were great. I've really enjoyed those. And then, of course, the Saints panel. But let's not go to the Saints panel. I want to say the Saints panel for last because it's it's going to be thematically with what I was lead into what I was talking about before and how I want to end. Is there a panel that I missed that you particularly want to talk about? Um, you were there for the film, also. Oh, the misses was. Oh, you weren't there. Yeah. Um, no, let's let's. Uh, so so Heavenly Mother and Saints and Carolyn. Those yeah. were the three you were there for. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, is there anything you want to say about Heavenly Mother? Maybe we should move into Saints. No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Well, talk me through your experience with the Saints panel. Well, let me introduce it. Okay. So the Saints panel was four writers who are working on saints and global histories. Saints, of course, is the new history of the church that's being produced right now. Global histories is also a history of the church. Um, it's smaller themes, one for each country in the world, and the goal is to literally have every country where there are saints have a history for them. There are a couple where, for political reasons, that's maybe not a wise thing to do, and so those ones are not being published at the moment. Mm-hmm. But that's the goal. So if you push, if you open up your LDS Scriptures app and you go to the uh, Gospel History By you, section. he means you, Reader, not me. I don't yeah. have a phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an, just another conversation on its own. <laughs> and yet I can still text message you, but for some reason it like, goes to your email. It goes to my email, that's and right. So it's like the most useless, it's like... I feel like I'm. If I want to talk to you, that I'm sending out a carrier pigeon. <laughs> well, I, I would. I would express sorrow for you, except um, nobody ever texts back. Like Lindsay was complaining about this yesterday. Like nobody texts back. Like she was saying, "What's the point of having texts if nobody texts back?" She's sitting in front of her email, waiting for texts back, and nobody. People would take eight hours to like say yes. I have that thing. So, anyway, go, go ahead. Yeah. What was where were we? I have no idea. That's why I was handing it to you. <laughs> Nuts. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, working backwards. Oh, the the app, the app, the gospel yeah, library. Yeah. So app. they have this whole. They have these um, these books. Saints Volume One is out. Um, I've Two's listened out to maybe the first third of it. 
mm-hmm. I think, and I'm I'm listening to it being um, narrated. Okay. Right. I don't know who's the narrator. I don't know either. I'm curious. But I it's, should it's find clearly out. Clearly not a computer voice. Someone is is mm-hmm. definitely reading it. I could find that out if you want to know. Um, I was, and um, wow, it's great. It is good. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and I think it's so important. Anyway, the, so the four people on the panel yeah. were James Goldberg, Scott Hells, uh, Angela Hallstrom, and Melissa Leilani Larson, mm-hmm. who incidentally also received a special award at this conference. That's right. Um, and all four of these people are exquisite writers. That was the thing that was that I didn't realize. So when I read Saints or listen to it. Um, of course, it's written in this narrative style, so it's not uh, it's not quotes from a letter. It's not it's not a diary. It is a story. It is a story, right? It's told novelistically, and which um, sounds like fictionalized. It sounds fictionalized, but it's not. And we'll get into how how amazingly it's not. Um, yes, but when I but when I read it, I feel like. I'm surprised to learn that it was written by a bunch of authors, but thinking about it, I shouldn't have been surprised. These are people that write for stories for a living, right? And they're good at it. Yeah. Um, so Angela Hallstrom's novel, Bound on Earth, is an incredible novel. Highly recommended. Go ahead. James Goldberg's novel, Five Books of Jesus, is the best novelistic depiction of the New Testament I've ever seen. It, and not just because the storytelling is great and the characters are riveting, but the way he understands and explains the culture of the time um, will change your understanding of the New Testament permanently. Hmm. He's also a great poet. His, he has two collections out worth looking up. Um, Scott Hales is best known for his comics, uh, the, Garden, the Garden of Enid, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the poetry he's been writing recently is really good to the point where I'm like almost annoyed. I'm like, geez, Scott, <laughs> why be good at everything? And then uh, Melissa... Um, she is a playwright and a screenwriter, but uh, better better known as a playwright, and her works are terrific. Two of them you can purchase in a collection published by BCC Press called Third Will, which I recommend. Even if you don't think you like reading plays, like give it a, give it a shot. It's they're, they're so good. They're so good. What surprised you? Let's start there. Let's start with what was surprising about the panel. The to, well, okay, so you covered one of the things that was surprising, which was this fact that they're all authors the second next thing that was surprising was the historical accuracy that the part that really struck me and i'm going to try and quote someone that said that they were describing this so she was writing a scene where the um the protagonist in the scene you know was nervous yes and was holding on and so she what she wrote was she was holding on to her mother's hand or her father's hand or something like yeah, that. Yeah, tightly. Tightly. I believe this was Angela talking at the time. There you go. And she submitted that to review, which I was I was immediately interested in the fact that the <laughs> that the chapter that she wrote what went out for what sounded like peer review. Essentially it is, right? Yeah. Which um, you know, peer review is this I'm is a fan. Like a I'm step a fan above of New Yorker level fact checking. Yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Anyway, came back rejected. Rejected. Right? Yeah, they were like, no. That didn't. There's no evidence that she, she stood there holding her mother's holding hand. Her mother's hand. Yeah. All that says in her in the primary source was she was nervous. Yes. <laughs> and which, as a writer, Angela was saying, is frustrating because you want to show, not tell. If somebody's nervous, you don't want to say they're nervous. That's bad storytelling. You want to say that um, they were holding their mother's hand tightly and let the audience understand it. And so, so why is saying okay? So I'm just not an author of this kind okay. of fiction. You're saying that 
that, um, well, let, let, let me tell you this way. Okay. Um, I can say in three words, Joe is sad. Yeah. Uh, does that have much emotional response on you? Well, it depends on who Joe is. <laughs> but if I say uh, Joe looked out the window, a single tear falling to his chin, but he was unable to wipe it away. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's over, an overly that's exaggerated very, very example. Very dramatic. It was good, though. But, um, but now I'm not telling you how he feels. I'm just showing you some details, and, right. and you feel it yourself. Right. I mean, and this said, don't think that... Um, they don't do this. In no, they the do saints. whenever they can, but whenever only they, if there's a source. But only if there's a source. And so the other thing they said was, like, if a sentence in Saints says it was cold and muddy, for every word they have a primary source. That's right. Yeah. And maybe they're different. Maybe one person said it was cold and one person said it was muddy, but they got sources. <laughs> and because I don't have a phone, um, I had no idea that all these details are there. If you're reading it mm -hmm. digitally, you can click on every word and learn where the word came from, where the, what the source was. And then we have these talented writers putting it together to make it a whole, when really it's a thousand pieces put together. So, and the other thing that I thought was very... So this was, that was fantastic, um, to learn about this historicity. Um, of course, they also don't shy away from any of the weird, weird stuff in the history either. No, no, we're... They are trying to cover everything. No more surprises. No more, I'm 25 and I hadn't heard of the Meadows, Mountain Meadows Massacre, and so I'm leaving the church. Right. So this first book covers the first, what, 80 years of the church history? I believe it gets them to Utah. To Utah? So yeah. 50 years, maybe? Something like that. Um, one of the off-panelists had this great phrase that goes back to um, narration that I wrote down. Yes, and this is where I want us to okay. spend the last quintile of our time <laughs> <laughs> he said that those who do not understand a genre are doomed to repeat it what does he mean by that i don't know but i thought it was great no i kind of have a guess um also i spelled it as dimmed to repeat it in my notes. <laughs> um so let's first i guess we got to define our terms sure so genre let's start there so genre has a couple meanings one refers to a type of story for instance, uh, science fiction, romance, historical fiction, that sort of genre. Mm -hmm. Genre can also refer to a type of writing, so like poetry, novel, play. Mm -hmm. um, here we're referring more to the former definition. Okay. The, the, church histories have always been hard for me to get through, to be honest. They've always yes. been very stodgy. Like if you tried to read the Doctrine and Covenants and get a sense as to what happened... Like, it's really difficult. There is no story in the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah, and then if you None. go and you read Joseph Smith history, that's better. I love Joseph Smith history. That's, that's a, that, that is pretty good. That is fun read. Yeah, um, but then you go back and you look at your seminary manual, and you just fall back to sleep again. Yeah. Right. So, okay, so that's the genre, I think, that he's trying not to repeat. It could be. Um, so, as an example, uh -huh. when you have a a um, very popular writer in the so-called literary fiction who decided he wants to try his or her hand at, say, science fiction, um, writing dystopia, writing a post-apocalypse, something like that. Um, if this person is not familiar with the genre, and they often aren't, they will write it, and people who like that genre will not enjoy the book because it's a host of cliches. Because you don't read the fiction, you don't know what's already been done. And so you start with all the easy ideas that are lying on topsoil that were first written about 40 years ago mm -hmm. and um and i think that's also sort of what's going on if you don't know 
the the um, the genre, then you can't solve the genre's problems. You can't take it in a new direction. You know, You're going to do what's been already done. It's great that you describe it that way. In some ways, I really feel like I'm living in kind of a, a golden... I mean, maybe every generation feels this way. <laughs> okay, But I feel like I'm like in a golden generation of television. Okay. TV, yeah. And movies. And right? superhero movies. The, Mar- the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. I mean, we could start There's never the... been a superhero era like today. Holy, holy mackerel. Yeah. And that's just exactly what you're describing. So they finally got people who studied the genre and didn't repeat it, right? That's right. They didn't, um, they didn't make all the same mistakes. They did, they changed it and made it different. And they knocked it out of the park. And now, twenty-two movies later, um, <laughs> I, 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 I just can't wait for Avengers Endgame coming out soon. I'm gonna go see Captain Marvel tomorrow, so I'm ready. I mean, the Avengers Infinity War. I mean, it, wow, that was a hard movie to watch. And you can't tell that story unless you understand the genre thoroughly and have been busy recreating right. what it means to tell a superhero story. As much as I want to do an Infinity War podcast, <laughs> let's go back to the Saints. Right. So. This is no knock against the historians who work in, for the church. Um, yes. The last, I don't know, maybe two decades? I, I don't have numbers of, in front of me. But at least since work. Elder Jensen, um, mm-hmm. there's been a real attempt to be forthright and honest and truthful and transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but historians, by training, are good at facts mm-hmm. and putting facts in the correct order. The correct order is important, and the facts are important, but neither of those things necessarily leads to a book that people actually want to read. And so that's why combining the talents of the historians with the talents of writers has made this so revolutionary. And they had so many resources. So, so many. They, they Anything descri- they wanted. They described that, right? Yes. If they wanted to write this one particular section in a way, they would just call somebody and then, you know, a, a team of church history people. I yeah. Want, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it sounded like they had just... Another commandos. Yeah. yeah. They were definitely church they history They repelled down the commandos. granite sides of That's the right. tomb in the, of In the vault in documents. Montana. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> this is all true. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and so they had, they had all these sources, and then they would send them out for review and get fact-checked on all this other stuff. On every single word. On every single word. By multiple people. There are multiple layers of fact-checking. So, right. That was so, and and building on this idea, another thing James said. James is uh, James Goldberg. He was on the panel. He's the one who talked about the genre thing. Another thing he said that he believes a lot of faith crises are actually a crisis. When you break them down individually, they're often a crisis of narrative. Like you thought the story of the church was this, and then you find out that Joseph Smith had multiple wives, and that is not what you thought the story was. Or you find out that. Um, what was the thing in a in a recent podcast where it was something you hadn't heard of before that I just brought up that I can't remember what it was. Well, the the first vision thing I had heard oh uh huh I had heard of that before. But Multiple I didn't first visions it. is one that but, this happens to people. Yeah. Um, various historical things like mountain meadows, mm-hmm. and and if you bump into this story and you've been fed a story that was glossy instead of truthful that can be very damaging to the story you tell yourself. And we all have a story we tell ourselves. That's that's kind of what our life is, is trying to figure out what the story is. People really want to believe that they're moral. Right. And they want to believe that their community is moral. Their community is moral. It's always been moral. It doesn't make mistakes. Right. And if you allow people to believe that, they will. 
Mm-hmm. But the fact is, no community is perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of us have this uh, a similar relationship, say, with our country. We're like, America is great, right? Or whatever country you're from. But Americans, I think, are particularly susceptible to this. Yeah, America is And then, then you find out about something like the Contras, right? Or, you know, there there are some ugly spots in any history. When you learn that the Trail of Tears isn't just a couple nice paintings and half a paragraph of an, about Andrew Jackson's presidency, but it, but a true, like, disaster. When you learn about internment camps, you know, there, there are things in our history that are difficult and you can either ignore them or you can grapple with them and i it's so important that we grapple with them and that's why as latter-day saints it's important that our story is honest and truthful and covers everything and shows that the story can survive a mountain meadows massacre what a great way to describe it i, I remember when you said that and i was struck by it as well say, say it again a narrative a fight. Uh, faith crises are often narrative crises it's great. Okay, so in his book, Letters to a Young Mormon, uh, which is another one that might be a great book club book for us if we want to like just talk about a book, um, Adam Miller talks about this idea of telling ourselves a story and how the real difficult thing in life is not telling our own story, but allowing God to tell us what our story is. Um, and I think that this is an issue that the church has that saints is solving. Like we've tried to tell our own story uh, but the truth is what sets us free. Mm-hmm. The truth is the only thing that will get us to heaven. And sometimes when the truth is ugly, we have to learn how to deal with that. Um, and one obvious answer is that God loves imperfect people. But tying this all back to literature, not specifically history, not specifically scripture, but literature generally, it's only by telling our stories that we come to know who we are and who we can be. And that is what literature is for. Literature is the laboratory of the human soul in which we stick our mice in the maze and see what happens by the end of the novel, by the end of the play. That's why literature is taught in schools. It's be- to make us more fully human and to really grapple what it, mean- what it means to be human or from a re- religious perspective, what it means to be a child of God stranded on this earth for 75 years. And literature is one of the tools we have to let us do that. And I think it's so important that we look to our literature, not not to be scripture and not to be history, but to help us to explore our own selves. That's what literature is for. And the saints are creating incredible literature. Go look through the AML awards from years past. There's a Wikipedia page. And see what there is to see, because that's how we know ourselves, is by telling stories. <laughs>